Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, you're uh, prepping for the Combine. How's it going? Prepping for the Combine, yep. We will have, we will have another Dynasty Blueprint later in the week, and then after that I'll be hitting the road Monday morning to Indy, so I'm pretty excited to be heading that direction. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's always a fun time, and I know Dynasty players are looking, looking maybe even looking forward to that more than normal even with this crop of rookies. So that's just what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to talk about these incoming rookies, and we've got a great guest to do that. We have Scott Barrett, the senior analyst from Pro Football Focus. Scott, my man, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Very, very excited to talk some rookies. That's pretty much all I've been doing for the past two or three weeks, which, you know, my favorite time of the year, you know, things slow down from the regular season. Uh, and just some of these guys are so fun to watch, so fun to to dig into their stats and and uh, try and evaluate where I think they're going to go, how many points I think they're going to score, things like that. Yeah, well, you've done some some good work over at PFF. I know you've already released articles uh, about your top tight ends, top running backs. I'm pretty sure wide receivers are coming up next, and you're going to give us a little preview of those rankings as well. Before we specifically get into those rookies, though, I want to talk some dynasty startup strategy, um, and and we'll we'll bring the rookies into that as well. But I'm going to be a little selfish here first. I'm I'm doing a dynasty startup right now. It's actually my first one. Uh, it's my first startup draft in a couple of years. I've I've been doing so many auctions, so this has been it's been a little bit of a challenge for me. But this league I'm in, Scott, it's. Superflex, it's tight end premium, and it really seems like that format has kind of become the new normal in dynasty leagues. And I know, especially the tight end premium piece, you're a big proponent of. So I, I just wanted to talk with you about that first. When you're in a league like that, how much do you let that that increased value at quarterback and at tight end? How much does that affect your strategy versus a typical vanilla one quarterback league? Yeah, so so I've always been a, a big di- uh, tight end premium fan. Um, you know, ever since I got into the main event, the Football Guys Players Championship, which are both tight end premium, a number of years ago, and then Dynasty, of course, it's my favorite. All my Dynasty leagues are tight end premium, uh, and I specifically like that. You know, it's not yet mainstream, uh, so a lot, not not very many people are as familiar with it as I am, and I think there is an edge. Uh, for uh, to be had there. So, uh, what do what do I do? I'll I'll either go quality or quantity, and sometimes both because I, I just think there's just such a massive edge there, especially when you know it's one of these leagues where there's you know four flex, which is again you know becoming the the status quo in dynasty leagues. Yeah. You know, really big advantage having a tight end uh, tight ends in that flex spot uh, because people don't uh, they don't. They, they just like draft off of ADP and they don't really think to make the appropriate uh, ADP boost. And then even then sometimes, you know, they'll go after the wrong guy. Like, like Mark, Mark Andrews was, you know, tight end nine in P I uh, know tight end five or tight end six in PPR, but in super flex, he was actually tight end nine. And you saw that with Rob Gronk's, Gronkowski, who wasn't a reception guy, he was a touchdown guy. You know, people overdrafted him, even though he tends to go. Uh, he's he's not as valuable because he's not a a reception guy. But um, but yeah. So I, I want to pay up the, the the George Kittles, 
the Travis Kelsey's of the world. Mark Andrews actually, like, I think is is just going to be a superstar for the next 15 years. So he, he's another guy in spite of uh, the reservation I just listed. Uh, and then if I miss out on kind of, you know, those big three, big five uh, tight ends at the top, then I'm trying to go quantity. I'm, you know, I'm the one who's just loading up on tight ends in those round 14, 15, 16, 17. Just don't stop. Keep loading up on those guys. So, so that's how I approach it. Scott, this is really interesting because one of the trends I've noticed in my dynasty leagues is, boy, I have a lot of tight ends on my roster. You know, I'm like, I, I, I'm always taking shots on these late young tight ends, upside guys, waiting for them to hit age 27. And most of them don't hit, but it just seems like something I'm always doing. But I wanted to take, ask you real quick, just before we get too far into this, I think our fan base and our listeners know what super flex is, the ability to play two, two quarterbacks. But when you say tight end premium, how premium is it? Uh, so it's so tight end premium is basically wide receivers, running backs get one point per reception, PPR, and then tight ends get 1.5 points. And, and that's just like really like it, it makes a big difference. So uh, yardage and touchdowns are the same. Yeah, so so in each of the last two years, uh, Zach Ertz has outscored Tyreek Hill in fantasy points per game in this format. So that's just like such wow. a – and then in a draft like this, you'll see Zach Ertz go, you know, round five or just, just insanely late. And uh, and I like you said, you know, you're just – you have all these tight ends. And, yeah, in a non-tight end premium, like I don't want to be starting tight ends in the flex. So, like, I, I kind of treat them as though they're worthless – uh, but in tight end premium, where there's multiple flex spots, I, I think I think that's the edge you need to exploit. And uh, and specifically with dynasty, like something I've noticed is like where did T.J. Hawkinson, Noah Fant rank in ADP uh, at the start of last season? Irv Smith, uh, Sternberger, all those guys, mm-hmm. and then they're so much cheaper the next year, and then. You know, the year after that, they're back to being, you know, premium commodities. We all know tight ends, you know, don't really contribute much in year one. But every single year, like clockwork, the dynasty community, you know, uh, treats treats sophomore tight ends heading into the season as though, oh, what a bust he was when, you know, so (laughs) definitely another thing for us to exploit there. Yeah, for sure. And I I think that's a good question, Matt, about the just what is tight end premium. and what Scott laid out, I think, is the the typical scoring that you'll see for tight end premium. But I've seen some leagues even step it up from there and do two points per reception or wow. a requirement to start two tight That's ends. That's crazy, yeah. Which is, both of those obviously are just taking it even to a more, a larger extreme. So, I talked to your boy, Scott Fish, last year. I, I actually suggested that for his, his Scott Fish Bowl, and he was just like, yeah, I, I spent some time looking into it, and it would just break it. It was just like the first five picks should be tight end. So, and he's not wrong. Yes. Yeah, Scott's Scott's funny. He's open to pretty much any rule you want to throw out in in a fantasy league, except for starting two tight ends. He he hates that. So <laughs> we we won't be seeing that in in the SFB anytime soon. Uh, Scott, back to the, just kind of the general strategy in these quarterback and tight end premium leagues. What position do you find yourself focusing on? You mentioned the tight end. Is that it? Or are you trying to build around the quarterback position? Or is it more of that normal, uh, typical build uh, around running back or wide receiver? 
Yeah, so so it really depends. Uh, I'm a I'm a big value grabber. Like I, I I grab value when it falls. The the guy who you know ADP had going three rounds ago. Like I'm going to take him, even if it's a guy who you know I think stinks or I, I'm trashing on Twitter or whatever. Uh, and I, I kind of just try and let the draft fall to me, and then draft around it. Uh, I do play place a, a priority on certain positions. Uh, like tight end in, in tight end premium in super flex, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll draft quarterback early, but I'm, I'm really fine being that guy to just like not draft a quarterback for the first 15 rounds and then taking, you know, throwing darts at Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor, like just like super cheap, gross guys. And just, um, but, uh, but what's really interesting is, so the, the draft I'm doing right now, I've never tanked in all of my dynasty leagues. Like I've just never been in a position to not make the playoffs. So I wanted to tank, but I didn't want to tank for longer than a year. So what I did in this draft was uh, we're in like round 10. Uh, I have Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, Odell Beckham Jr., Cortland Sutton. It's tight end premium. Hunter Henry, Hunter Bryant, Marquise Brown, and then six... Uh, first round picks into next year and then no picks the nice. the year after that. So like what I plan to do is just outright punt uh, quarterback and running back loaded on wide receiver, which we know tend to stays their value tends to stay consistent year to year, longer lifespan, uh, have the tight end, get a hammer, some more tight ends. Uh, and then just basically, you know, go into it with maybe one running back. I feel good about one, quarterback I feel good about and like I'm fine starting just like you know Tony Pollard as my RB2 the entire year maybe even RB1 and the way I see it I'm locked into like a a top three pick ideally the first overall pick and then you know it's 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 super flex I'll get Trevor Lawrence ideally uh I'll have like I said six picks so I you know Etienne you know another potentially starting running back and just like immediately go from the worst team in the league to like a top five team. And I, I think I have the core to do it and the picks to do it. So if like Miles Sanders has a huge year, are you thinking about taking two of those six first and turning it into a proven commodity and really going after it? Um, I, I don't know. I think, I think I have the flexibility to do that, but right now I just like, I really like this class, but I also like in this draft, you could draft those guys. So, you know, people were drafting them, you know, high, uh, but I ne- like next year's draft, and I got it cheap because you know people are so you know drooling over this class, uh, and and there's just so many running backs I think could just immediately come into the league and be starters. Like I think I think Jonathan Taylor is the 101. I, I don't think there's a question there. I think he's he should be as hyped as Saquon Barkley, as hyped as I hyped Christian McCaffrey, uh, and I think Etienne is is right there. Um, so I, I just. I, I feel good about it. I, I think I could have that that balance that you want of youth and the ability to to compete right away. Not this year, but but next year after those those six, those six first two two or three seconds hit. Well, that's a good segue. Um, the mention of Jonathan Taylor because we do want to talk about uh, including rookies in the startup draft. And I don't know about your your startup that you mentioned, but there are there are rookies in in my draft. And we've seen some of them go very early. So guys like Jonathan Taylor, C.D. Lamb, that of course we're considering. Where did Taylor go in yours? Just curious. Um, I think he went 
He went really early. He went uh, top twenty for sure. What about what about yours? Yeah, he went he went tenth. Wow. wow. Okay. Tenth overall. Right to an expert, a really smart expert. I wouldn't say his name, but so so. How do you feel about that? Is is that too early? You are you already kind of let Why us. Why do you know? love him so much? So so I think that's I think that's too early without having the benefit of draft capital and landing spot. Uh, but I could see that somehow hitting. I could see him somehow being a top five pick. So I built a model that looks at all the best data points, and I work at PFF. So I have all the best data points, and I spent the time to test them. And by all those best data points, Jonathan Taylor is uh, – the only running backs to come close in recent years are – Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Melvin Gordon, and he's better than half of those as a prospect. So you just just look at what he's done as a pro- just like numbers we've never seen before. Uh, so in the history of college football, as far back as our as we have stats, which is sometime in the 1950s, no player has averaged more yards from scrimmage than Jonathan Taylor. And it's not close. And in the top 10 is Herschel Walker, Ricky Williams, Dalvin Cook, Ray Rice, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. If you want to include non-Power 5 running backs, it's Marshall Falk, guys like that. Just numbers we've never seen before and numbers that everyone coming close to his his data range uh, was a massive smash hit for fantasy and in the NFL. He leaves this class in career yards per carry, and more importantly, yards per route run. Wasn't used really as a receiver, but the data points say efficiency is more important than 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 volume uh, and, and counting stats for receivers for predicting at the next level. And that yards per route run is our, is our best predictor for receiving production. Uh, just like everything you want to... And, and factor in the offensive line, no running back was be- better at creating yards after contact. It's just... It feels like a, a slam dunk pick to me. I'm really interested in your model, and I'm not trying to challenge it in any way, but I'm sitting here thinking it seems like the two knocks on Taylor are he's a fumbler and he's had an awful lot of wear and tear. But for fantasy, that's not that big a deal. You know, you're not, you don't care if he fumbles on third and two. I mean, so... I'm curious, does your model look at either one of those factors at all? Just just curious. Yeah, so, so I, I spent some time looking at fumbles, and I, I actually started digging into this a few years ago uh, because Kareem Hunt never fumbled. Like, it was ridiculous how little he fumbled. I think it was, like, once on, like, a 1,000 touches. Well, Dalvin Cook, you know, had this big fumbling problem, and just all the data I looked at suggested it was just massively overblown, and especially for college prospects. For fantasy, it's not anything you know, to really worry about too much. Uh, the only time I ever remember in the NFL it actually being like a serious problem for, uh, you know, not a, like a Jonas Gray, but like a, a real, you know, uh, you know, high-end prospect was like that one Tiki Barber season. And then he just like yeah. immediately got it together and uh, mm-hmm. never happened again. As far as wear and tear, again, it's, he had a lot of carries, but only three seasons. He's still extremely young. Uh, very low injury history. You know, when I think of wear and tear, c- counting carries and, and receptions at this stage of his career does not matter anywhere near to me as much as, you know, injury history, like Dalvin Cook's injury history, or like a Michael James, uh, uh, Bra- Bra- Brace Love, things like that. So uh, I, I just, I feel really good about it. 
Although there's some um, really talented running backs in this class. Yeah, and and as far as the the usage for Taylor through his throughout his career so far, I think at this point in Dynasty, we are really just trying to get one contract out of these guys as as real Dynasty assets. And once they get four years in or five years in, if they're a first rounder, that's that's really all we can ask for. So we're not drafting Jonathan Taylor with 101 or with a top three pick expecting 10 years of production. If you get four or five, you, you've got to be happy with that. I mean... That's how the league looks at it too. Yeah, look at it as yeah, a, look at it as a yeah. as a plus. The guy had three hundred plus touches, three straight years, never missed a game. You know he can be a workhorse in the NFL. Like, that's what that says to me, at least. So you said ten was a little too early for Taylor at this point. And again, we're drafting not only before the NFL draft, but even before the NFL Combine. So before we even have uh, a lot of those measurements and and testing numbers. Where would you consider Jonathan Taylor? You already told us he's your 101 in rookie drafts. Where would you be comfortable taking him in this format that we've talked about, a super flex tight end premium startup? Yeah, so he he went 12, actually. I just double-checked. I thought it was 10. Uh, According to DLF ADP, he's 33 overall, uh, I think, is the the second. I think think DeAndre Swift is, is a little ahead of him. But yeah, I'd, I'd take him, I mean, Leonard Fournette's 20, I'd take him over Leonard Fournette. I'd, Aaron Jones is 18, I think Derrick Henry's 17, I think maybe around there, maybe maybe slightly ahead. I'd take him over Josh Jacobs. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I'd still take him pretty damn high. Right, so yeah, we're, we're still talking 15 maybe. Yeah, this reminds yeah. me of Zeke. I mean, Zeke pre-draft was at the time you know, going, what, like 13, 14, 15 in, in uh, startups. I, so I, I think we see the same thing here. Although it, his draft capital is far less a lock, unfortunately, because, you know, Swift is so talented, Dobbins is so talented. I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, um, Moss and uh, maybe not CEH so much, but, but definitely, uh, definitely Moss. I'm just curious because we talked about Superflex tight end premium, and I don't know much about them to be honest. So, would you rather for in a league like that? Would you rather have Taylor or someone like Baker Mayfield or Evan Ingram? You know, somebody like that that are probably pretty high pick in that format. Um, yeah. So I, I'd, I'd probably still, I'd probably still take Taylor. Um, I mean, B- Baker, Baker went really late in my draft, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just it, we, bell cow running backs, running backs who play every single snap, run the ball, catch the ball, are the most important, most valuable commodity in all of fantasy football. You see that with, no matter the format really, with, you see that with the Christian McCaffrey's, Saquon Barkley's, Zeke Elliott's of the world, and I'm predicting Taylor to be one of those guys, I think. I feel good about it. Didn't catch a lot of passes, but I feel good about his potential. Uh, so I would I would prioritize him, like I said in this draft. You know I I, I have five wide receivers, two tight ends, no quarterbacks, no running backs. Um, but uh, that was just my strategy. Okay, I was happy to hear that though. I didn't want tight ends and quarterbacks just to dominate the early rounds. Yeah, it it, it really does balance it out. I think pretty well. Um, of course, in a one quarterback PPR league. I mean, the thing is, the thing I like about this format that we've been talking about in that vanilla PPR league, 
everybody's basically going with the same strategy. And maybe some are taking the older guys and trying to win right away. Maybe some are doing what Scott's talking about and what I like to call that productive struggle and, and giving away year one. Uh, but for the most part, everybody's loading up on receivers and, and grabbing one or two running backs. But with this, with this super flex uh, tight end premium, there, there's a variety of ways to build your team and, and be successful. So that's one reason I really like it. Yeah. So we had in, in our, in the top 20, we had, uh, we had seven running backs, five wide receivers, four quarterbacks and two tight ends. So I, I think that's, I think that's pretty fair when in a non tight end premium, I'd expect, you know, zero tight ends at zero yeah. quarterbacks. I mean, or one quarterback. That's cool. I like that. Scott, you've talked a little bit about your model that you use to um, come up with these preliminary rankings without giving away all the secrets. What are some of the key pieces of that? Uh, some, some key data points that you're looking at. Um. Yeah, so it's it's total missed tackles force. That's the single best variable, um, and then there's a number of other you know career yards per carry, um, yards per route run, uh, some market share type things, uh, yards after contact, most your yards and your best season, whatever. Um, but that's the best one, and so far the only prospect it, it might have missed on is David Montgomery, and I, I just did a little. Uh, mini Twitter thread about that and why I think he was he was a potential miss, but uh, he had so, basically the the, sh- the long and short of it, he had a uh, he had a bunch of red flags right that you know kind of warned us that he might just be really good at forcing missed tackles because he lacks initial burst. He's he's slow out of the gate, so he draws contact early on, and then he's just like a physical guy who can fight through. Uh, uh, through tackles at the line, but not really gain much more beyond that. Um, so Zach Moss is like the only running back who rivals him in terms of forcing missed tackles, and he doesn't have any of the red flags that David Montgomery did. I honestly, I think he's, I think he's some, I think he's somewhere between Hunt and Montgomery as a as a prospect, uh, and and very similar in, in running style. And, and so PFF has him RB one. I have him probably RB three, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like him a lot. And even, even though he's probably a guy who's going to slip after the combine. Is force missed tackles and elusive rate, the same thing at PFF. Yeah. Elusive rating combines missed tackles forced with, uh, yards after contact per attempt. Oh, okay. Cause I always found it odd that they, they say elusiveness, but Jerome Bettis is elusive because he runs people over. You know, it's not just all Barry Sanders. Right, like LeGarrette Blunt was a guy who did well right. in elusive reading. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely not <laughs> not an adjective you would normally use to describe those guys. Um, <laughs> so, so you talked about guys like Zach Moss maybe moving, uh, potentially moving down after you get combine and and NFL draft information. Uh, and these are just your early, your early rankings. And in fact, you, you've kind of let me know that these are not even necessarily your rankings. This is just what your model tells you. Um, right. So, so how much will combine data and, and NFL draft capital impact, uh, these numbers? Right. So every single position by a landslide, the most important, uh, variable to consider is landing spot like draft capital spent on if you know I have Taylor round one, but if if you know Swift goes round one and uh, 
Taylor goes round three, I'm, I, you know, Taylor's plummeting down my ranks and I'll probably have Swift higher. Uh, so, you know, draft capital really, really is king. Uh, the combine's tricky. So I'd like to take a few minutes to get into this because I, I don't think people look at combine the right way. Like the amount of attention especially we in the dynasty community give the combine. It's just like, so it's just like not really worth it. Um, so I looked at it for each position, the combine for tight ends. Basically the only thing that matters for fantasy tight ends is speed score and speed score is great. Like that, that might be the single best, like most important event for any running back wide receiver tight end. Um, and speed score is just is that 40 times weight. Yeah. It's weight adjusted 40 yard dash. Um, Okay. So weight-adjusted three-cone actually matters a little bit too, uh, but really barely like that in conjunction with speed score is still barely you know more important than speed score. Uh, for running backs, um, three-cone matters. Uh, 40-yard dash matters the most. Um, I think short shuttle matters a little bit, like a, a few other things. I built a, a combine model for that. Really, it's just like, there's there's benchmarks you need them to hit, and if they don't hit, you have to be really worried. Um, speed score again, you know. There's just red flag numbers, huh? Ba- basically, so if a guy comes, you know, below this uh, or or above this in in forty yard dash or three cone, you, you really got to drop him drop him far. Um, but you know the difference between a you know four point four four forty and a four point you know, four nine forty doesn't really make a big difference for me unless they're you know drastically different weights. Uh, but for wide receiver, I think this is People the most don't how quick interesting. That is I mean, in half of half of a tenth of a second is nothing. Yeah. Uh, so so for for wide receivers, uh, I thought this was super interesting. I just said you know draft capital is the most important thing. Uh, it's huge, and you know teams you know. When, it, when a guy has a great combine, they, they move him up their draft board. They take him a little earlier. So, so a good combine has a, an impact on draft capital, probably. So factor that in, and the combine's still basically worthless for wide receivers. You look at it, and all the correlations are basically zero. And like the two best, two most important things are just weight and bench press. And it's like, why would a wide receiver need to be good at bench. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And so I really dug into it and it just, it just, the data suggests that teams are just massively overweighting the combine. And like, this is so interesting to me is like, if you, if you adjust for draft capital, you're better off, you know, taking the slower guy nine times out of 10, like a guy goes pick number uh, 43 and he's really fast. Guy goes pick number 47, and he's really slow. Like, for, for fantasy, for dynasty, you should just take the slower guy because according to all this, all, all these numbers, uh, that guy is going to be a better producer at the NFL. Like, once, once you adjust for, for draft capital, teams are just really overweighting athletic measurables, and, and the data suggests that that's not really that important for wide receiver. Like, maybe it's just a position where film matters so much more or, like, intangibles matter more than athletic tangibles, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, it, it really does, and I, I like the comparison used with the wide receivers there. And you think about that in that example, the wide receiver's going 43 overall, and we all know it's because he's fast, because he tore up the combine, and the other player's going 
four or five picks later, presumably because of a, a well-rounded skill set. So that, that does make sense. Let's get into some of the specific players, and we've talked so much tight end premium uh, so far this episode. We'll stick with the tight ends, and th- this rookie tight end class is uh, has not been well received, um, but, but I'm actually pretty excited about it. I don't know about you, Scott. Uh, in our rookie ADP at DLF, we had no rookies inside the first round. That's no surprise. We had no rookie tight ends inside the... Uh, second round either. We don't see the tight end one coming off the board until the third round. And usually there's uh, even, even by now in this pre combine period, there's usually some kind of uniformity to who are we considering the tight end one who's tight end two. We don't see that at all. I, I think there's a half dozen guys who you might see ranked as the top two or three tight end uh, depending on what various side or uh, whose whose rankings you might be looking at, your tight end one is a small school small school guy, Harrison Bryant, uh, and I, I loved in your articles you you told us why that player is ranking that highly. So why don't you tell us uh, what you love about Harrison Bryant? Yeah, so so real quick, you just said you don't think it's a a really hyped tight end class, and like that's that's totally true. Uh, you know, Mike Renner, my colleague tweeted out that like here's here's how good the positions are in this draft and it's like wide receiver number one then all the way at the bottom was tight end and that's kind of how it is and you'll see that in mock drafts you'll see that in big boards but but fantasy is an entirely different story so so the the two bryant boys they're not going to rank very highly uh in any nfl you know big board or, or mock draft because they're, they're kind of tweeners they're they're more wide receiver uh than tight end um but like that's great for fantasy. That's exactly right. what we want for fantasy. Um, and my model said that, you know, Harrison Bryant is the number one small school tight end, uh, like neck and neck with Dallas Goddard. And then Hunter Bryant is like the the fourth best prospect to come out since 2015. You know, rivaling only you know Mark Andrews, Evan Ingram. Uh, and I feel really like I'll take Hunter Bryant or actually. In my draft, I just took him tight end 14, and I know, according to your February ADPs, tight end 23. So, like, that seems like a massive reach, but but I felt good about it. Um, just, like, what I like about him is, you know, as a 19-year-old freshman, he ranks second on the team in receiving yards, behind only Dante Pettis, and ahead of Will Disley, Drew Sample, who's a second-round pick. And he did that as a 19-year-old freshman. Sophomore year... ACL injury, 2019. He put together one of the best yards per route run seasons in PFF history, which, like, we talk about stats that matter. I talked about total missed tackles force. For receivers, nothing is better than yards per route run. That's, that's in college projecting to the NFL or in the NFL projecting, like, rookies. It's just, like, the best stat we have. And uh, he crushed it. He also crushed, you know, all the the – Missed tackles, forced uh, data points, uh, yards after the catch, yards after contact. So uh, I, I, I feel really good about him and Harris Bryant, Harrison Bryant too, just for the same reason. Just PFF grades, you know, three of three of our top ten best grades ever, and a yards per route run superstar. And you're you specifically, not PFF, 
You only care about fantasy points, right? Oh, yeah. You don't care if you can block. I mean, I see other people putting out, you know, fantasy models where they're looking at, like, uh, PFR's approximate value or things like that. Like, I I, I don't care about that. I I want fantasy points. points. Okay. What what are your thoughts on Troutman, too? Yeah, so so Troutman was actually uh, my number three tight end. So, So this is where things got tricky is, like, the the Bryant twins were neck and neck. Really, you should rank Hunter higher because he was a power five tight end, faced better competition. And then Troutman and Hopkins were like, you know, neck and neck, the tier below. You should, I think, draft Hopkins first because of, you know, the competition thing. Like, like Troutman was, was a freak of nature last year in terms of yards per route run, PFF grade, not as high as the Bryants, but like still one of our highest ever. The issue is like, the level of competition, he, he faced zero power five opponents throughout his career. I mean, Harrison Bryant didn't really either, but he, you know, put up 80 yards against Ohio State this past season. Uh, Hunter Bryant faced, you know, tough competition throughout his career. Um, but I, I mean, that's just like an unknown, just like it was an unknown with Dallas Goddard, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett. The good thing is where for my running back and wide receiver models, if you're not in the power five, your chances of hitting, like you get, you get dinged significantly for tight ends. It's not that important just because we've seen a lot of, you know, small school tight ends get drafted early and succeed in the NFL. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's really good information. Um, folks, I want to tell everyone about dynasty owner. I've mentioned before on here. Dynasty owner is the ultimate dream for all sports and business fans. Dynasty Owner is the only patented fantasy sports game that combines Dynasty Fantasy Football with actual player contracts. They don't use make-believe or demand-based contracts or salaries. They use the actual NFL player contracts and salaries. There's no off-season at Dynasty Owner. Rookie draft matters. Free agency matters. Every contract matters. Dynasty Owner just finished their beta season in 2019 and are now working on their mobile app for iOS and Android and will be ready for rookie drafts in May. They're opening up the game to everyone in 2020, but they're limiting it to 1,012 team leagues. You can win weekly prizes, seasonal prizes, and compete in the chase for the ring. Come join the 2020 season waitlist at www.dynastyowner.com and start your dynasty. Scott, you've already given us a little bit of a preview on uh, your running backs with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he is your RB1. He is your 101 uh, among all rookies. Uh, and you mentioned Zach Moss a little bit, but your model has him as the RB2 currently. Tell us what you like so much about Zach Moss. Yeah, he, he was just a, a missed tackles freak. Um, you know, really maybe the only guy who compared to uh, – David Montgomery and her same. And, and by the way, that, that kind of makes it look bad, but you have to consider like all the other missed tackles guys are Joe Mixon, uh, Dalvin cook, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Kareem hunt. And it's also done a really good job of, you know, picking out guys who, you know, might've been drafted day five by an NFL team, but then had, you know, quite a bit of, of NFL success. I think Philip Lindsay was one of those guys. Um, we don't know Montgomery's horrible yet either. Oh, exa- exactly, and and that's yeah. I mean, like yeah. his rookie season yards per carry was was low. Whatever. Same for McCaffrey, Ladainian Tomlinson, yeah. Mixon, Le'Veon Bell. Um, but anyway, um, one cool stat with with him is is uh, so so the the missed tackles force thing. But as receiver, uh, he was just as efficient forcing missed tackles. 
Uh, I think he had the fifth best ever receiving missed tackles force per reception uh, uh, stat uh, in PFF college history. And in the top six is David Montgomery, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Kareem Hunt, Kenyon Drake. And my model says that like that stat, along with yards per route run, is far more important than just raw receptions. So compared to someone like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's you know, being touted as this, you know, do-it-all bell cow running back. And, you know, agree, he looked awesome on tape. He had 55 receptions. Uh, but, but my model suggests that Taylor and Moss are more likely to produce as uh, receivers in the NFL. And one reason for that is uh, Edwards was just, like, super inefficient on those receptions. Moss tackled uh, more, forced more missed tackles on half as many receptions. He scored more standard fantasy points on half as many receptions, and that's true for for Taylor as well. So with Moss, we like his bell cow potential, even though he didn't catch a lot of balls in college. And then as a runner, just like elite yards after contact numbers, elite missed tackles force numbers. So, you know, at a bare minimum, he's a fantastic runner. Is Taylor and Moss the best force missed tackles guys in this class? Clearly, um, yeah. So, so Moss is actually a little ahead of ahead of Taylor, and then uh, Edwards Hilaire is actually really efficient doing it on the ground, uh, just less so as a receiver. Uh, but yeah, it would go Moss and then Moss and then Taylor. Scott, let's drop down a little bit. Your RB5 is, is a little bit of a surprise. And again, these are not your exact rankings, but just what your what your model has spit out so far. You've got Eno Benjamin at RB5 and then DeAndre Swift, who is uh, was the near unanimous 101 rookie pick in our uh, in our DLF rookie mocks from from February. He is your RB6. So uh, of course, a little higher on Benjamin than most and lower on DeAndre Swift. Just talk about uh, the rankings of each of those guys. Yeah, so uh, I, I wrote this in the article. I'm like, if if my model's wrong on any two players, it's Eno Benjamin's way too high and DeAndre Swift is way too, way too low. My model's like great. Like, honestly, if you look at, you know, uh, all the, the prospects who like back test it with all the prospects who have already been drafted it looks awesome but one guy it would have totally missed on would have been josh jacobs you know who was stuck in this committee backfield uh his his numbers weren't incredible and deandre swift looks a lot like that uh where you know if he's so amazing if he should be the first running back off the board then how come you know he was he, he was stuck in a committee like his coach didn't even think that highly of him or whatever um and his numbers don't look that great in the stats that we love, like missed tackles force. But then again, there's there's a reason for that. He had the best offensive line in football, top, ranked top three in PFF run grade every year he was at Georgia. Uh, he 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 felt contact behind the line of scrimmage on only 17% of his career carries. Compared that to Zach Moss, who was at 25%. Uh, so, you know, way better run blocking. Um, but, but again, like Josh Jacobs, if you look at his numbers through the whole career, very good. You know, only Taylor ranked ahead of him in yards per carry. Only Taylor ranked ahead of him in career yards per route run. Uh, so, you know, he's six in my, according to my model, but, you know, he's, 
he's going to be probably four uh, uh, in my own rankings. And then if he earns uh, an, uh, uh, a day one invite to the draft like Josh Jacobs did, then he's going to skyrocket up my rankings. Uh, because again, you know, draft capital is key. And like, this is the guy all the experts are touting. You know, Benjamin, he was just, you know, uh, his, his 2018 season was incredible. Uh, at age 19, he, you know, fell just 95 yards shy of 2,000 scrimmage yards, you know, forced almost 100 missed tackles, which is an elite number. Um, issues with him, one is, okay, he caught a lot of balls, but not efficient at all uh, on those, or more importantly, on how many routes he ran. Uh, and he's supposed to just totally flop at the combine, which again, you know, it's probably overstated, but it definitely does matter. Uh, I have him five, you know, in my own rankings, he's probably closer to 10. Yeah. And he also he came in undersized at the senior bowl that that was kind of the first. So, right. He, he told teams, he said, my playing weight is seven pounds above this, but I dropped weight to, to uh, ha- have a good combine and to like run fast, which like, if you have a, like a, a half decent agent, you should know to one, don't say that to NFL teams. And then like like the day before they're weighing you chug as much water as you could possibly handle. And then, you know, just urinate it all out. So you, you seem as heavy as, as you could possibly be. Along those lines, Scott, you mentioned earlier in the show, there aren't many combine numbers that you weigh all that much, but I would think weight is one of the ones you look forward to the most. You actually get a real weight. Yeah, so for, for wide receiver, that's that's huge. I mean, like Marquise Brown is is having some success at at like a uh, a really low weight, but like typically that's just like just a massive red flag, and those guys do not hit. For for running back, I think that's that's big too. Like BMI is huge. Um, like you you can't look at weight; you have to look at weight in context with height uh, and and their numbers. Like Ray Rice, I think was just like two hundred you know five pounds or whatever, but at five six or whatever he was he was just squatty beast i basically meant that you actually finally get an accurate weight that you can oh trust right right of, right oh and by the way for the combine can we can we get the squat added to the combine like i don't care how much a running back bench <laughs> presses but i i think squat is huge yeah I, I like that idea see if you can make that happen scott <laughs> i'll work on it <laughs> Scott, as I said at the beginning of the show, you've already got your tight ends and your running backs articles uh, out on PFF. Definitely go check those out. I know the wide receiver article is coming soon, but we're going to get a sneak peek uh, from you on that. You do have C.D. Lamb as your wide receiver one. Jerry Judy as wide receiver two. Glad to see both of those guys locked in, and uh, that, that has already... Uh, been the battle or are you a lamb guy or are you a judy guy at wide receiver one it seems for now you've got lamb there what was the the difference between those two guys for you yeah so i mean i mean judy deserves a lot of credit because he was at a sort of disadvantage according to my model like my model is not going to account for the fact that there are you know four top 50 wide receivers on that team and irv smith who went top 50 last year so, like, the target competition for him was just severely high, and he rose above it at a really early age. Um, and they're neck and neck anyway, basically. But, um, well, all right, so my model says Judy is the sixth best wide receiver prospect since 2015. But my model says Lamb is 
the second best. Like with only Amari Cooper being a better prospect coming out of college, he, you know, we talk breakout age, uh, and that's that's really important. Uh, uh, I think Adam ha- uh, Adam Harstad explained it best to me. It's like, okay, so imagine you had a wide receiver who had one hand tied behind his back, and he still scored a thousand yards. Chances are that receiver is like really freaking good and amazing with two hands. And so that's kind of what it's like to be a wide receiver who dominates at age 18 uh, because, you know, you're not done growing. You're inexperienced. There's a massive uh, competition jump going from high school to the, to the power five. And we saw that with Lamb. We saw that with all the wide receivers who are going to be at the top of my list. And as an 18 year old on a team with Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, he came within 300 yards of leading the team in receiving yards next year. 1,200 yards. The year after that, 1,300 yards. So six sick numbers. And as sick as those numbers are, Oklahoma probably should have targeted Lamb even more. He, they had a basically perfect passer rating when targeting him in both of those seasons, 147.7, 145.2, which is, like, ridiculous. You, you never see that with guys targeted as frequently as Lamb is and is the clear, you know, number one defensive focal point for a team. And then factor all that stuff in a stat I invented that I love depth adjusted yards per target that pinpointed AJ Brown as the number one wide receiver in last year's class CD lamb was even better. It just a, a freak of nature with the ball in his hands put together one of our, like actually our best ever season in terms of yards after uh, contact per reception and missed tackles force per reception. So like Zach Moss, you know, forcing all these missed tackles, you know, making guys miss in the open field, really elusive as a runner. Lamb shows out as potentially or probably elite at making defenders miss and creating yards on his own with the ball in his hands. Scott, I want to finish up with your wide receiver three. It seems like it's not quite the consensus, but for most people at this point, Lamb and Judy in some order are the top two. And and then it's the wide receiver three spot where things really get interesting with a few different options. Your wide receiver three, according to your model, is Colorado's LaVisca Chenault. What was the difference maker for him that put him above Henry Ruggs, above Jalen Rager and others? Is there a line after the first two as well? Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a massive teardrop after Judy, um, and and yeah, then there's a, like a massive tier between Chenault, Rieger, Ruggs, Jefferson, Edwards, really. And my model also liked Tyler Johnson, who's another guy who apparently you know is is hoping to be a day three prospect, but his numbers were just ridiculous off the board. Yeah, and Chenault's supposed to drop too because of of injury concerns. I've also heard him compared to Corderell Patterson as a sort of tweener, but he has those numbers that that we look for, that we like. You know, uh, he was dominant at a very early age in spite of poor quarterback play. He, you know, forced a lot of missed tackles. Uh, he dominator rating. Uh, so... Although all that stuff looks good and he should have a, a good combine if, if uh, he's really healthy, but I'm, I'm still kind of hammering at tweaking, making some tweaks to that t- tier. But uh, I, I do have him, you know, sig- significantly behind Judy and Lamb. 
All right. Great stuff, Scott. Thanks for the, the wide receiver preview, sneaking that one in there. We appreciate that. We appreciate all the info you brought. Uh, and the combine stuff is, is really interesting. Of course, that's coming up in just a little over a week from now. Uh, Scott, before we go, tell our listeners where they can find your work. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Barrett DFB, and uh, you can check out some of my recent uh, articles on the rookies for Pro Football Focus. All right. Thanks, Scott, for joining us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>